You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 142. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We have a busy show planned for you this week in our case for case against debate. We take a look at Care Cloud, symbol MTBC on the NASDAQ, a healthcare information technology company that provides a full suite of proprietary cloud-based solutions together with related business services to healthcare providers and hospitals throughout the United States. Brennan argues the bull case. I crush him again with the bear case. And Aaron sits in as judge, jury, and executioner. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we answer a listener question on Northland Power Inc. NPI on the TSX, a renewable power producer which owns 2.3 gigawatts of net of generating capacity. Most of Northland's power is offshore wind, but the company also has a pipeline of onshore renewable assets. We take a look at current valuations and the company's growth prospects into the future. I'm going to welcome my co-hosts, Brennan and Aaron. How are you guys doing today? Salutations. Excellent. How are you, Ryan? Here you're, uh, there's going to be well. some new additions to the household soon. <laughs> Uh, I think you're speaking too soon. Six yeah, there was a proposal put forward in my household, a proposal put forward to add at least one to possibly two cats to the mix here. And why stop I'm pushing back. Fine. I'm pushing Tenth. back. Hmm? Yeah, just why not get two and they can breed and just stay here forever and <laughs> be a cat convent here. The one cat no, that Ryan uh, currently has is, has, <laughs> has been the cause of quite a bit of mayhem in the office. Look, and- I, I, I don't mind cats. Like, that's the thing. I don't want to be painted as this cat hating. I mean, cats are cool, but Didn't I, tear up the cat I have right now or something is, the other day. <laughs> the cat I have now is, um, yeah, there's cats is, it causes ma- massive destruction in the house. I have not been able to put a screen in. Like, we put all new screens in, bought a new house new screens and they're all destroyed. So we replaced one and within two days it was ripped in half again. Um, you know, our weather stripping all over, just ripped. Literally we're sitting here, the cat's like 14, 15 and we're, uh, it's, you got to bring up your L key too. You got to bring up your L key on your keyboard. Cause wasn't that from the cat? Oh yes. Okay. Well I was showing, um, my family, our, our latest, um, webinar and i just put the laptop on the ground and we were laughing at the start uh, there was a little funny bit at the start and they were laughing then the cat walks over to my keyboard knowing i think it's my keyboard and just starts to you know scratch across the keyboard sharpen his claws rips off the l key <laughs> i've had no l key for like 15 days it's really use the l more than you'd think yeah. and uh finally got it replaced the other day and it's just wonderful but the cat yeah the cat has it in for me. Yeah, there was a couple one, confusing emails that I definitely got from you over the over last week, you know, just <laughs> missing that L. It'll be you interesting to see what L. keys the, uh, the new cats 
tear off your keyboard and yep. run. Uh, they, this cat tears things off my feet, face, everything. I wake up in the night, my toe is all bloodied, <laughs> and uh, there's a, a cat smiling at me. I'm just, this cat is uh, it's a piece of work. Anyways, <laughs> we love... <laughs> It's also a black cat, which is just great. Like, so everybody thinks there's bad luck around this cat, too. <laughs> but, uh, no, the cat's actually uh, maybe not as bad as I'm saying. You love her. It's named Bella. We, you we, love her. We do love the cat. But we'll see. Maybe adding to or none if I have my say in it, which <laughs> often I don't. So. Uh, so let's get into, we were going through uh, a couple segments from our DIY investment webinars, details, common mistakes investors make when they build their DIY portfolios. Last week, we talked about not committing to the process. Today, I'm going to look at kind of acting like a trader. I'm just going to do this really quickly. For the average investor, I'm going to put it bluntly, trading is a bad idea. Now, how can you identify if you're trading too much in your portfolio? If you see hundreds of trades in each month on each monthly statement, or even in a year, this is too much movement in most cases for the average investor. Even 50 plus trades in a year can be symptomatic of something wrong for the average long-term investor. Either you're buying the wrong stocks or you do not have a realistic time horizon or holding period in mind. To give you an example in terms of what trading does for investors, in our June 2020 webinars uh, just under a year ago, we put together an entire section on day trading using empirical studies. The finding in the most recent credible study in this area, I'm going to quote it directly here, said, it is virtually impossible for individuals to day trade for a living. The study found that 97% of all individuals who day traded for more than 300 days lost money. Well, those are not good odds. As an investor, stocks you buy should be with the goal of holding the stock for two to five years as an investor, or really as long as possible, as long as the business continues to perform. Your thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, I think the one thing about trading is it's so hard to manage your emotions. Now, in investing in general, it's pretty hard to manage your emotions, but especially with trading, when you know you are watching the swings very closely, uh, you know it makes it that much harder to actually win. Like for example, I love buying a, a stock, knowing the fundamentals are good, setting it and forgetting it. Essentially, you know, as, as long as that company continues to grow, just don't worry about you know the short-term noise of the market and the swings as long as the fundamentals are there you know buy and hold long term and you know that's again just the thing i think that is very very hard about trading is um you know those quick swings you're looking to you know make a quick buck emotionally when all of a sudden you see that you're down you know however many percent because you know you're trying to make money off of small swings essentially uh, i just think it's such a hard thing to do um, and yeah, I think, you know, it's great to, you know, take, take some of the emotion out of it by, you know, long-term investing, essentially. Most of the investors that, that I speak to don't want to sit in front of their computer screen for the entire day mm-hmm. trading stocks Most of stocks them have either. jobs Most or are lives. They want to maybe they're retired yeah. or they have kids. They want to spend time with the family uh, and not just, be, not just be glued to the computer screen. So, you know, trading, I'm not, it's clearly some people... Perhaps professionals can make it work. I'm sure some people do make money over certain periods of time, but it's certainly a lot easier to make money as a trader when the market is going up, of course, because you can make mistakes. 
uh, and still make money unless you're you're primarily short and you have a net net short position. But I really see investing as more of being a uh, a business person, a business investor, right? Like you you're somebody you think of yourself as as a business investor who's going around looking for innovative companies that you can take a position in, and you want to own those companies as they execute that strategy. And the execution of the strategy, the growth strategy, isn't going to happen in one, two, three days, um, or you know, in a couple of minutes. It's going to take, you know, a couple of quarters, a couple of years, even. So the healthy way of approaching an investment is to look at it with a minimum time horizon of one to three years. That gives the company time to execute the strategy and for that to actually uh, be demonstrated in the financial performance. And if that happens, you find a company where the earnings per share are growing, the revenues are growing, it's not overly leveraged, and it's part of a market that uh, that is providing an opportunity for growth long term, the stock price is going to follow that that financial performance over time. So that's really the way uh, the way that we look at investing is, is as if we are really business people buying pieces of real businesses. Yes. Yeah. And as Buffett was um, always famous for saying, Graham's quote, investing is most intelligent when it is most businesslike. And that's what you're talking about yeah. really there. If you look at mm-hmm. it uh, from that perspective. And, uh, you know, the final point that I would wait, make is, you know, if you're trading, you, you know, many people really want to spend time with their cats rather than trade, right? So, I mean. <laughs> such as Ryan. Uh, he's, that's he's just Such Ryan. as me. I just want more time with my cat and or more cats at this point, right? So, if I can do that and if I can buy and hold great companies and spend more time, um, you know, having my toes ripped off by my cat, you know, that's, that's something that I'm looking forward to going forward. Well, it so seems like you'll have lots of opportunities to, to do that, right? Uh, we, shall, we shall see, and we'll keep you updated because everybody out there, I'm sure, is on their on pins and needles to see if we do get those cats, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the case for, case against debate, we're going to look at Care Cloud Inc., MTBC on the NASDAQ, current price, 820 market cap, just over $102 million U.S., CareCloud is a healthcare information technology company that provides a full suite of proprietary cloud-based solutions together with regulated business services or related business services to healthcare providers and hospitals throughout the U.S. Um, Let's look at the case for Brennan. You ready to get your butt kicked? Of course. I'm always ready to get my butt kicked. Yep. You bet. Okay, Brennan. uh, You know the rules. One minute. You tell me when you're ready to go. I am ready to go. So just let me go. Number one, CareCloud operates in the exciting space of healthcare information technology and provides a wide set of software as a service solutions to healthcare providers, which is of course attractive. Number two, they have great fundamentals where revenue grow or grew to 105 million or 63% in fiscal 2020 compared to fiscal 2019. Adjusted EBITDA grew to 10.9 million or 34% over 2019. Plus the company has a cash rich balance sheet with approximately 9.5 million in net cash. Number three, the company anticipates growth to continue providing 20 2021 adjusted EBITDA guidance of 23.5 million, which equates to about 115% growth from 2020. Number four, the company trades at a reasonable EV to EBITDA multiple with a trailing figure of 25 times and a forward multiple of just 11.5 times. Now to sum it up, it's an it's in, a, in an exciting space. They have SaaS revenues, solid fundamentals, good expected growth in 2021, and last but not least, trade at a reasonable price. Oh, I got that out. I was stuttering a little. Yep. Uh, uh. All right. Oh, there you go. Couple seconds to spare. Okay. 
Ryan, are you ready to present the case against? Always ready. Okay. All right, tough guy. Go. <laughs> so on the surface, Brennan's case paints a beautiful picture for CareCloud. Unfortunately, that beauty is only skin deep. While the growth outlook is impressive, the capital structure is not. CareCloud has funded its growth through the issuance of preferred shares, which pay a pricey 11% coupon. In 2020, the company generated funds from operations of $10.92 million, which sounds great, but they paid out $13.9 million in preferred dividends. Adjusted EBITDA is misleading as the huge interest burden the prefs create is pushing actual cash earnings negative. While the growth guidance looks great, I point out the management downgraded 2020 adjusted earnings guidance from 12, or 12, to, 12 to 13 million to 10 to 12 million, bringing the question of the level of one weight should put in their current guidance year over year. At present, the stock is not cheap, trading at a generous 25 times EVDB EBITDA. And now on top of it, the CEO is leaving with no dedicated replacement. Capital structures matter. In that case, the pricey press right, prevent stop. purchase. Alliteration at its finest. Wow. I didn't even hear you say start at the start of that. So come on. Wow, he's just making excuses now. Hey, Aaron. Big well, I don't have to make any here. excuses. I laid out the case well <laughs> I don't know. I, I, if somebody keeps going after the buzzer, does that not disqualify them, Brennan? I think. So hey, if he wants rules. to win on a disqualification, then that's great. A W is a W, my friend. A W is uh, a W. There'll, there'll <laughs> be no disqualification. I'm just going to disregard anything that Ryan said after the buzzer. I think that that's, uh, that's fair. Okay, so. Yeah. I don't even need that. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, so obviously this company has all the buzzwords. Uh, cloud, digital health, SaaS, everything. Uh, but that capital structure is problematic. I mean, I, I have to say, Brennan really did paint a pretty good picture. I think that if you're looking at a company that's in an exciting theme like this, a software-based company... Um, you know, 25 times EV to EBITDA is not that expensive at all. I certainly, in my research, see companies in the software space trading for, for far higher valuations than that. But I have a bit of a problem with the with the capital structure when it comes to the preferreds. I mean, 11%, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty healthy yield. Um, it's a lot of cash flow that has to go out. And I would agree with Ryan that, you know, reporting adjusted EBITDA but then reporting that as before charges to to or be, before payments to preferred shareholders yeah. is is misleading. I I don't like that. Um, ultimately, you know, when you're talking about growing the company, it's really the common shareholders that are invested in that. So if you're talking about growing the EBITDA, you know, common shareholders want to know what it's in it for them. And I I I wouldn't have a problem with that if they had another line item. Which which also reported just at EBITDA purely for the for the common shareholders, but I, I didn't hear of anything like that, so I just have to assume that they don't. The question is, would I invest in this company right now, given what I given what I've heard? Well, with guidance declining, with not much profitability, I can't really justify. I mean, that twenty five times EV to EBITDA multiple doesn't really. Uh, doesn't really hold a lot of weight to me. Um, I wouldn't mind paying a multiple like that for a great company if I was getting that visible growth and that cash flow that I knew was coming to the common shareholders. But in this case, I'm not really clear that that's what's that that's what's happening. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give this one to Ryan. 
No. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, no, that was good. That was good. And, um, you know, I initially thought that I, I had a great case to win until I looked at those uh, those prefs. You know, it's just, it, it's hard to make the, the case, the, the four case, um, when they're paying out more in dividends than they're pulling in from FFO, you know. Um, yeah. And it's just as a common shareholder technically no money there's there's no value creation to the common shareholders essentially you know so i i like things simple right mm-hmm. like yeah. what i'm investing and this is what keystone what we always say to our clients to investors you know you want to keep things simple don't invest in something that's so complicated you don't understand and when you have these more complicated capital structures and you could say well preferreds are fairly common but when all of the cash flow is basically being soaked up by the preferreds then some um it's not really clear like what is actually attributable to the common shareholders that just complicates the whole situation for me i've seen structures like that in the past um and they haven't really worked out for the company so for me you know maybe the company will do something down the road that would change my mind. It certainly has the opportunity to do that. But from what I heard, I wouldn't be rushing out to buy it. I mean, the CEO is leaving. Um, being yeah. a small cap company, that could have a big effect. So there's just a lot of there's there's just a lot of a lot of things yeah. that I think would would stop me from. And investing. we talked to we talked to management. Um, what was that? Maybe about a year ago now. And um, yeah, we did. Yeah. You know, in this, uh, they basically about stated that you know. They, they, they went with this, uh, or they went with the prefs because they don't want to dilute shareholders or common shareholders. But I mean, realistically, is this a better uh, case? I, I don't know. I would argue that but it's probably the, not. Yeah, you, in the end, you are diluting. Like, yeah, you are, you are you, exactly. You, you just it's, you're trying. To, the markets and investors aren't stupid. Like no. you can't you can't get around the fact either you're raising money if you need to raise if you don't have the free cash flow to just generate cash and buy. Uh, out of cash flow you're you know if you put the structure in place this way or you issue shares uh you can't get around the fact that you know there is dilution to common shareholders in this case it's it's you know they're trying to game the system they think they are they think this is a way of not diluting but you are and um you know it it just when we've seen these structures in the past people think they're very smart in doing this but they tend to get they're not priced off of EBITDA then because you can't be because, you know, you're exactly. pulling out that massive amount of interest. So, uh, you know, it, if you're it, so smart, smart, show me <laughs> yeah. in how you grow the business, yeah. not in how you not you're, in some you complex way, create of your capital structure. And, and I, yeah. like I said, this is what I was trying to say at the end. And I, I went like half a second over, but I wanted to say, and it was my, well, I think it was more like two or three, but we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> two or three that. halves of a second. I agree. <laughs> so crap. <laughs> Capital structure matters. In this case, pricey prefs prevent purchase. That is my alliteration right there. And in, <laughs> nice. in, in the case of CareCloud or MTBC, as it was called when we originally interviewed management, that is the one reason a year ago, because everything looked quite good, but that capital structure prevented us from really recommending the company. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's it's been a good call and it hasn't gotten premium valuations in a sector that really has been quite hot so you know and and Pricey we are profs prevent purchase is that yours did you come up with that uh, i came up with that if is if that, that would have came that, in is there that ryan irvine's 4p methodology of investing that's the 4p <laughs> that's the 4p 
Yeah, but it is, a, there's a lot of P in that. It is interesting, I like it. No, too, it's very that uh, like with where interest rates are, like, I'm, and they don't even have that that much debt, if any, really on their balance sheet. Like, I'm surprised they haven't really utilized debt, you know, as mm-hmm. a means of, of fun, funding rather than these expensive prefs. But I mean, yeah. yeah, again, we could talk about this forever, but it's just it is an interesting case. The business does look great, um, but then you know. This is definitely a dark cloud over it in my in yeah, my mind. And if they hit that guidance this year, then you know, maybe you know, you can revisit even with the pricey prefs, but and maybe they at some point they take those out. But um, you know, it's just right now that's what we're looking at. And, you know, like we said, you can't value it really on EBITDA because of yeah. the massive interest payment really that they, they pull out. And you, you got to look at these things and look deeply when you're making investments in companies like this. And that's why we do prefer cleaner structures. And you guys you know, yeah. detailed that simply. And one last and thing. I had, to, I had to give Ryan out of respect for a cleaner capital structure, yeah. which we always highly respect here at Keystone. I had to give Ryan the win out of respect to that. Well, that makes sense. That makes Nothing sense. Nothing to do with his One last his thing. Debate. I just want to say that if they were to and buy the prefs out, for if they were to buy the prefs <laughs> out, I'm pretty kidding. sure they'd have to spend about $140 million just to buy the oh, prefs yes. out too. And like, that's a lot of cash. You know? So in the end, they'd probably have to go out and raise capital by issuing exactly. equity. So you do end up diluting shareholders. Like yeah. it's just, you don't get around that. There's no way to game the company structure or mm-hmm. uh, whatever they're trying to do or whatever anybody who uses this structure is trying to do, especially in a smaller cap oriented company. Um, you know, you, you could, you're not going to fool the market uh, you, short term. You can potentially, but over the long term, uh, they're not going to value based on that. You're really going to look at measures like operating cash flow, FFO, free cash flow. That's what you're going to look at. And it, it doesn't look too pretty with this business, despite the revenue growth that we've seen. And that's probably why they trade at a forward looking EV to EBITDA, if you wanted to use that, that is quite low. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not really it's kind of misleading. It is misleading. Now let's look at our Your Stock, our take segment. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. We're going to look at Northland Power Inc. NPI on the TSX. Aaron, this is yours. You got a listener question on this one. Excellent. Thank you, Ryan. So Northland Power currently trading right now at about $43. It's an almost 10 billion market cap company, and they are a renewable power producer. Northland owns 2.3 gigawatts net of generating capacity. They also have a significant inventory of early to mid-stage development projects, which could add an additional four to five gigawatts capacity, potentially. Most of the company's power is offshore wind. They also have some onshore renewable assets as well. The company's executed a very aggressive growth strategy for years. This strategy has generally prioritized growth in the size of the company over accretive growth in per share earnings and cash flow. Recently, on April 14th, the company announced an agreement to acquire a portfolio of 540 megawatts in Spain for a total cost of about $1.1 billion Canadian. This is a large acquisition for the company. The cash flow from these assets is contracted and predictable, and Northland expects the transaction to be immediately accretive to free cash flow per share, but they did not specify by how much. The Q4 results were released on February 22nd. Revenues in 2020 increased 24% to $2.06 billion, and adjusted EBITDA increased 19% to $1.17 billion. 
Adjusted free cash flow per share did lag this growth, increasing 6% to $2.09. The company has also provided guidance for 2021, and they expect adjusted free cash flow in the range of $1.80 to $2 per share, so down between 4% to 14% compared to 2020. Big opportunity the company thinks going forward is their large pipeline of potential development projects. As I said, this could add an additional four to five gigawatts uh, to their existing capacity. And the company believes that it would require a net capital investment of 10 to $14 billion over the next five years. Once these projects are in place, assuming they are actually built, the company believes that they can more than double their adjusted EBITDA in the latter half of the decade. So what are our thoughts on Northland? Well, Northland has benefited from the trend toward renewable power and decarbonization, and we certainly expect that this trend is going to continue. The aggressive growth strategy has been focused on increasing the overall size of the company over growing the per share earnings and cash flow. Uh, we prefer a strategy that is more focused on growing the per share earnings and cash flow. Um, but that said, to be fair to the company, cash flow per share has been growing over the years just at a lower rate. In the last couple of years specifically, the growth in per share performance has really slowed. Guidance for 2021 puts cash flow about where it was in 2018, in spite of adjusted EBITDA increasing almost 30%. So what investors need to consider is that when the company is targeting doubling their adjusted EBITDA over the next five to 10 years, you can't just assume that the growth in per share earnings and cash flow is going to mirror that adjusted EBITDA growth. It's more than likely, it's certainly going to fall well short of that and more than likely substantially short of that. But overall, we do think that this is a solid business. It's in an attractive theme. It has stable cash flow. I'd like to see more of a focus on per share growth. It's not particularly cheap at about 22 times expected 2021 free cash flow, especially considering that cash flow is expected to decline in 2021. In the near term, the company looks fairly value to me, but over the longer term, say a five to 10 year time horizon, the company could continue to do well, particularly if it produces better per share accretive growth from its development portfolio uh, and acquisition. Perfect. Yeah, no, it's a good summary on the business. We have a couple names that we did a full sweep on the like the uh, renewable power sector the, in the summer of last year, late summer, came out with a special report that included a full synopsis of that segment within the Canadian market, came out with a couple buys in there, which we still have active long-term buys on going forward which would be tra would trade at lower multiples than the Northland right now. This is not to say Northland, like Aaron said, is a poor company, um, but we do see some, you know, potentially better value in those, uh, those two companies and our clients are very aware of who those businesses are. Yeah, and this is just off the top now, of my head too. Um, yeah. Does Northland not utilize a lot more debt compared to a lot of the other utility companies? I mean, I might be... Wrong, completely wrong the, here. This is just off the top the, of my head. I thought they were yeah, highly so levered. Yeah, so the debt to the debt to equity ratio is quite high. I believe mm -hmm. it was about four or five times. Yeah, so yeah. we could have gotten into the balance sheet as well. Uh, one of the reasons why companies, particularly in the utility space, the power gen space, can sometimes get away with having higher debt levels is because most of their contracted 
most of their revenues and cash flow are either contracted or regulated. So because they have such high certainty of what's going to come in um, over the next several years, they're able to hold higher debt levels. Now, that said, the debt level of Northland is is definitely on the high high end as well. So um, and this is all part of their their very aggressive strategy for mm-hmm. growth. Right. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, in spite of us seeing massive increase in revenue and adjusted EBITDA over the past few years, the free cash flow per share has not really grown that much. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, yeah, that now, interest over time, is going If you to want to go back there. seven years, eight years, you, you've seen better growth between then and now. But certainly over the last two to three years, um, it's really slowed. All right. Well, that's going to end off our show for this week. We keep encouraging you to send your questions in to our Your Stock, Our Take segment, to our Ask Us Anything segment, and also to our Case For, Case Against. And we'll endeavor to answer those in an upcoming show. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and we'll keep putting out the content. We keep getting more and more listeners each week, which is great to see. And we'd love to have more. So tell your friends about us and we'd love to have uh, you listening on a go forward basis Uh, i'd also wish you out there profitable investing thank you thank you all profitable investing thanks everyone